We're here at River Creek Country Club in Leesburg, the home of the Heritage High School varsity golf team. Heritage head coach Ken Schiffer is in the middle of his third season leading the Pride. But what many of you may not know is before he started coaching, and even before he started teaching, Ken Schiffer was a special agent in the FBI. Coach Schiffer is a great storyteller, he's a great teacher, and an even better person. So it was my privilege to sit down with him today and, and hear about his experiences coaching golf, coaching swimming, and hear some stories from him about his time in the FBI. It's time to take you inside the huddle. I really didn't know anything about coaching at a high school level or even at any other level. I played obviously sports in high school and in college. But um, the first year that I was at Heritage, they needed another swim coach. And the head coach knew that I swam for exercise and asked me if I would help her out. I never swam competitively in high school or any time. And I come from Wyoming where it's dry. We have bullfrogs two years old that can't swim. so. Coaching swim really wasn't in my bag, but I really got to like it. And I uh, learned a lot about the sport. I learned through uh, resources, YouTube and other things, and watching other swimmers and other coaches, what you needed to do to be able to swim effectively in the uh, water. And I tried to pass that on to the swimmers. And I enjoyed my, I think I've coached there for 10 or 11 years. I really enjoyed it and had some success. We had a lot of kids make it to the state final and we had uh, coach Robertson and I had 10 kids who were state champions in our wow. tenure there. So yeah, that's a good accomplishment. It's not our accomplishment, but their accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, you coached uh, swimming and then you started getting more and more involved in golf. What drew you to golf specifically? There was a golf coach uh, named John Duggar and he needed some help again, mm -hmm. kind of by accident. So I volunteered to just do it on a voluntary basis. Um, I was trying to learn to golf. I had to uh, quit my riding and my rodeo athletics. I was getting too old and too crippled, and so I was trying to learn golf. And this was a good opportunity to get uh, into the game. I knew a lot of the kids that were on the golf team, so it just kind of evolved. And then uh, John left, Matt Schwartz took over for one year, and then he went uh, on the administrative route, so I kind of inherited the team. And I can't uh, give myself any credit for the teams we had. They, they were here when I arrived. So, And Heritage is really a good golf uh, school. It has a lot of talent, uh, a lot of talented golfers. So we've taken advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that helps you, obviously you mentioned you didn't have a whole lot of experience coaching, swimming, or golfing in general, but the kids ha just have so much respect for you, um, not only as a teacher, as a, as a coach, and as a person. Um, how much of an impact do you think that that relationship that you've built with the kids has helped you as a coach? Well, I think, Owen, they're, they're one and the same. I think to be an effective teacher, you have to be able to relate to the students. And to be an effective coach, you have to be able to relate to the players. And um, it, it's, it's a skill, I think, that I learned in my previous careers and I have learned to be able to apply it to the coaching. And I think that's what pays the dividends. 
the good coaches that I see in the county and uh, in the school are those that are able to uh, bring a, uh, an ethical appearance and standard to the sport, but still be able to relate to the players and the, and the athletes. Yeah, I think it, it's so cool. And obviously, you know, we go way back. I graduated right. from Heritage yeah, years ago, yeah. so I've known you for years. And I just know that the relations were so impactful. The fact that I could email you, you know, three weeks ago and say, let's do this interview. And we had a kind of relationship that was allowing right. us to kind of just catch up 10 years later. Not that we see each other all the time, but 10 years later and sit down to do this interview was just incredible. You mentioned you got uh, a lot of experiences from your previous careers that helped you kind of learn these skills and whatnot. And I know one of the things that people love talking about is you worked for the FBI before you became a teacher. Um, so I want to start kind of uh, with the transition from FBI to teacher. Why did you decide to, to stop working for the FBI at, at the point you did? And why did you decide to pursue a career in teaching? Well, I had no control over stopping my career. The FBI has a policy that once, a, if you're a special agent, which I was, once you turn 57, you have to retire. So kicking and screaming and scratching on the floor, uh, I retired. Um, but I think there were a lot of things about the FBI that uh, relate to teaching, and I taught a lot in the FBI. I was one of the uh, field instructors for the FBI wherever I was stationed, and so I kind of picked it up uh, through them. They sent me to a lot of training to make me better. Some of it worked, some mm -hmm. of it didn't, but um, I found it was a good experience that way. Yeah, one thing, if you, if, if you know Coach Schiffer, is that you're a fantastic storyteller. And I think obviously having the experiences in the FBI helped that, but then also as an English teacher, part of your job is to teach these kids how to communicate and how to tell stories. When did you realize that uh, that was a passion of yours and, and that you were really good at it? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure I really, I'm really good <laughs> at it. I see so many teachers in the field that are so good and so qualified, Owen. Um, I think, the only thing that I can do is be as um, transparent as possible so that what you see is what you've got. And uh, I think that's a trait that, again, uh, certainly the FBI that I knew and that, that I worked for um, really required, that there was no pretense about being an agent. Uh, you represented the FBI and you, you had to live up to the standards that they had. And I think teaching is the same. I think. Um, Everybody, especially uh, teenagers, are very quick to spot somebody that is being hypocritical or not uh, forthright uh, with, with them and with themselves. And I think that's a deadly mistake to make. What, so you've told stories, obviously, about your career, both as a coach now, as a teacher, and as an FBI uh, special agent. What's a, a story, do you, mind, do you mind sharing a story with us about your time in the FBI? I know you've shared stories with us over the years, but I wasn't sure if there was one that you'd be willing to share with us here on the podcast. <laughs> well, it's not a very complimentary story, I will <laughs> tell you. Um, you know, I, when I came into the FBI in uh, the summer of 1969, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was the director. And uh, although there are a lot of stories about Hoover that I were way beyond me, I, you know, the Hoover that I saw was not what is portrayed today. He was a very, very uh, strict, disciplined, uh, rigorous man. And uh, my first office was Indianapolis. And I was driving a 1963 Plymouth Fury 3, no air conditioning because Mr. Hoover didn't want his agents to be too comfortable and no good time radio because he wanted them to listen to the FBI broadcast that came out. 
and I happened to get in a car wreck with his 1963 Plymouth Fury 3. And at the time, Mr. Hoover didn't allow us to have insurance, so I had to pay $263 to repair the right rear quarter panel of his 1963 Plymouth Fury 3, and $13 to repaint the left front bumper of the Brinks armored truck that I hit. But that's another story. <laughs> so I explained everything, and um, the bottom line was that I was found at fault. So I received a personally signed letter of censure from Mr. Hoover. Hangs on my wall today. Makes my wife mad all the time. She says, why don't you hang up one of your good pictures? And I said, but Daisy, darling, this is an authentic letter of censure from J. Edgar Hoover. And it says, you've been found at fault, etc." The sad thing is it didn't end there. We got, uh, I got a disciplinary transfer from Indianapolis to Washington, D.C., the Washington field office. There was no cost of living allowance in the Bureau then, so we went from a low cost of living area to a high cost of living area. Um, I had my raises held up for a year and a half just to make sure that Miss Daisy would remember that she wasn't going to have all of the spending money she wanted at Costco. Um, I was put on probation for a year, and uh, I was assigned to Chinese language school for one whole year. So um, I think it was at that point that I realized the FBI is a very serious organization and I need to pay attention to the details because Mr. Hoover certainly did. That's such a great story and I think so many life lessons out of that story. Uh, attention to detail obviously important and transcends into your life as a golf coach, right? Golfing is so, imp the details are so important. Um, but I really do love that story. I know the kids love stopping by for a Daisy Pop and, yeah. and uh, listen about that. What about, what about those Daisy Pops? I know, I don't know if you do that anymore, but back when we oh, were yeah. in school, Matter of fact, <laughs> I've got the, uh, I carry them in my golf bag. So Miss Daisy goes out and buys all sorts of goodies for the kids. And I say, Daisy, darling, we need Tootsie Pops. Oh, Ken, these kids don't. I said, Daisy, they need Tootsie Pops. So when they come for a refresher, it's not the, the goldfish or anything else. What, what kind of Tootsie Pops did Daisy make for us today, coach? What has she got? So when the kids have their favorites, uh, it was a great, great incentive for the swim kids. They loved the Tootsie Pops after a hard practice and I always had them. And I had them for the other teams too that were practicing with us. So it was just something that evolved. Um, I tell them that they're homemade. I don't know, they don't want to believe it, but they're afraid to deny it for fear that I might stop bringing them. So the tradition goes on, Owen. Yeah, that's awesome. I just remember like you needed a, a pick me up in the middle of the school day. Yeah. If you could escape class for five seconds yeah. and run down to your classroom, you, there was always a daisy pop there yeah. waiting for you, which I love. So, yeah. all right, to end, these, to end these podcasts, we love doing a little rapid fire game ask you about your favorite things. Um, if you don't mind, we can okay. get started real I'm quick. I'm real good at these yeah, things. Yeah, we'll see. No, we'll, we'll, we'll at see. At my we'll age, I don't think real quickly anymore. <laughs> no, I think, I think you'll have some here. So um, we'll start with obviously being an English teacher. What's your favorite book that you've ever read? All Quiet on the Western Front. Quiet on the Western Front. Um, that was a really quick answer. That, yes, extremely oh, I love quick. the book. You've love read that book. a bunch of times? Yes. Yeah, and uh, is that age appropriate for kids to be reading yes. now? Yeah. Yes. So if, if you need to go uh, check out a book, there's your recommendation. Um, all right, how about your favorite movie? Um, Saving Private Ryan. I'm, I'm a real, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is a World War I story. Private Ryan is obviously World War II. Uh, my father fought in World War II. I remember World War II, so I think it's just a very, very realistic depiction of uh, World War II, even down to the gear and the weapons and things like that. 
Yeah, that's awesome. A great film. So yeah. uh, highly recommended. All right. After uh, a long day of work, after golf practice, after a golf match, whatever, um, what's your favorite meal to either go home and enjoy or to go out with Miss Daisy and enjoy? Steak. Steak. I'm from Wyoming. I was raised on a cattle ranch. I'm a beef man through and through. So, Do you have a, a favorite local steak shop you like going to in Loudoun County? I like uh, Blue Ridge Grill. I think Blue Ridge Grill's got an excellent meat. They buy it well. Uh, Firebirds is good. Uh, but Blue Ridge Grill is probably my favorite. And yeah, Blue Ridge Grill is such a great spot, yeah. locally owned yeah. and uh, fantastic. They've been able to expand over these years. So, all right, do you have any uh, closing thoughts as we wrap up the episode today? You know, I, I approach golf like I do um, any other sport. When I think the first thing I try to tell my kids, the first rule we have is have fun because it's a fun game. It's not, if you miss a shot, it's not like missing in a hostage rescue situation. And uh, play the next shot. Put the and I think it applies to all sports. Don't worry about what you've done. Look towards what you're going to do next. And then there's a great one that Scott Seville, the pro here at uh, River Creek, told me. He says, "Tell the kids to play the course. Don't play your opponent. Don't play somebody else on the team. Play the way the course tells you to play." So I think those are kind of a final thought for me. This episode is brought to you by Dulles Golf Center and Sports Park. Dulles Golf Center and Sports Park offers year-round fun for the entire family. They have a nationally ranked standalone driving range, an 18-hole miniature golf course, batting cages, and white sand beach volleyball courts. If you're looking for a spot to host your next company picnic or a team-building activity, look no further than Dulles Golf Center and Sports Park. Visit them at DullesGolf.com or give them a call at 703-404-8800. Thank you for listening to Inside the Huddle, and please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and follow us on social media at Loco Sports. You'll go crazy for our sports coverage.